0: hallelujah hallelujah and I want to um, make it known uh, that um, I'm working through a series to get us to a place of preparation for what's coming for the church there's some there's some things that are coming in the in the land that is completely different mine way okay There's some things that are coming to the land that are completely different. Do you remember when the word says, as in the days of Noah, so it will be in the last days, okay? The interesting thing about the days of Noah, it says that people were eating and drinking and carrying on like nothing different is going to happen. Nothing different is going to happen. But Noah knew something different is about to happen. Now, understand, at the time of the flood, they had never seen rain. They had never seen rain. Up until that point, there was a mist that came up out of the ground and kept everything moisturized and growing and all that kind of stuff. They'd never seen rain. Rain was different. And Noah had a quickening in him. There's something coming that's different. And um, what happened is, God was wanting to destroy darkness over the face of the earth, okay? And how dark was it that only eight people were saved? That's pretty dark. But we fast forward, now we're under a new covenant, and God wants to again destroy darkness over the face of the earth. But he's not asking us to build a natural ark. There's not enough land for all of us to build our own personal ark. I just want you to know that know the Lord. There's too many believers in the earth. But what's gonna happen is there's again coming a flood and a rain that's going to destroy darkness from the face of the earth. But this time, it's the light and light of God that's coming. This time, that that force will be as destructive of evil, but it will be exalting of good. It's a new force that's coming to the earth. Something that's never been seen, something that's never been experienced, and something that's never been done on the face of the earth. And we look at the word of God and we think, oh, really? You know, they say these things. But Jesus said that, he said, because I go to the Father, that we were going to do greater works. Well, I haven't seen a whole lot of greater works than what Jesus did yet, right? So what we're doing is we're aligning ourselves with what God is going to do and he is making us ready and prepared for what is coming. He wants us to be available and useful, amen? So we rejoice in that. We rejoice in the time we live in. You know, um, I was reading a a ministry report the other day, a ministry book, I should say, from an old-time minister, and he said this, if you've got a pulse, you've got a purpose in today. If you've got a pulse, you've got a purpose in today. So don't just dismiss yourself as, you know, not an impact maker. If you've got a pulse, you've got a purpose. Amen? You may not know what it is yet, but it's coming. Amen. If you got a pulse, you've got a purpose. So I want to start out today, taking us um, to the next place and the next position we got to go. But I want to go back to Psalms 34 8. I just want to recap on a few things. It says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. So we have to keep in our forefront God is always good. God is always good he is not eager for your destruction your damage or your hurt that is not the heart and the mind of God he is not eager to hurt you to afflict you or to punish you God is always good and he wants us to taste and see His goodness okay God is eager for us to taste and see his goodness And we talked about even in in James 1, 16 and 17 about in him there is no shadow of turning, meaning it doesn't matter which way God goes, he is always good. Good is always emanating off of God. Good is always coming off of God. That's why Jesus never put sickness on anybody when he walked the earth. He doesn't have it to give. He doesn't have sickness to give. Goodness doesn't have sickness, disease lack, destruction. Goodness doesn't have those things. Goodness has the antidote for those things. Amen? He is always good. And then we got in and we talked about um, Adam's sin. We talked about how the enemy came to Eve and first persuaded her or convinced her of something that misled her into partaking of something she knew she shouldn't have. Remember in Genesis 3? And then it says she turned to her husband with her, and he ate also. So we found out, according to the word, that Eve was deceived, misled, seduced, enticed by the enemy, and Adam just sinned. Sometimes my husband reminds me of what happens when you listen to your wife and you shouldn't. <laughs> He said, it started in the garden, babe, and it's still going on today. I'll, I'll let him have that. And we saw where what Adam did is he went hiding. He went hiding, right? And Adam, um, the, the goodness of God did not change when Adam sinned. The goodness of God didn't change when Adam sinned. God is the same. Yesterday, today, and forever. The goodness of God didn't change when Adam sinned. However, Adam's perception of the relationship changed. Adam's perception of himself changed when he sinned. There was some conflict that was raised up. And we talked about how the enemy was the initiator of the sin. It's always his intention. And the reason is, is because we have to realize that the enemy doesn't entice and deceive and mislead just because he wants you to mess up. But we found that the word sin itself means to build a wall of containment that separates. So what it was, was when Adam sinned, a wall of containing Adam that separated him From God was being constructed. So that is the reason that the enemy wants to draw us out into a life of sin, is because he's interested in building a separation between you and God. Now, remember this we talked about sin, and sin isn't only wrongdoing, but sin is also not doing the right thing. Okay? We talked about how all sin is lawlessness. Um, we we made reference to that about how all sin is lawlessness or doing what's wrong, 1 John 3, 4. But we also found out sin is also to know to do good and not do it, James 4, 17. So sin can be as much a problem in idleness as in wrong action, okay? And what I want us to remember is that God is good and out here... Is where God resides, but Adam built this wall to, and that through sin to separate him. But when he built this wall to separate him, one of the key things is he separated himself from the goodness of God. He separated himself from the goodness of God. Now, this principle is still in operation today that sin builds a separating from the goodness of God. And then remember, we talked about how in 1 John 1, 9, though, um, that if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to remove all sin and cleanse you from unrighteousness, okay? So for all intents and purposes, this wall could be called unrighteous, unrighteous. This wall could be called unrighteous. Here is the goodness of God. And you were made to live out here. You were made to live as the righteousness of the Lord. You were made to be righteous because of what Jesus did. But yet the enemy wants us to continually separate us. And once you get over here, you don't feel very righteous anymore. Your awareness of righteousness disintegrates when you're behind the wall. And yet, God has paid for you to live without walls. Amen? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So, does that bring us kind of up to speed? Hallelujah. The one thing we have to understand is, in the church, and there's nothing wrong with this, the church goes through um, cycles of revelation, okay? Um, You know, the turn of the century, the 1900s, we had um, what broke out as the Azusa Street Revival, where people began to understand the importance and the necessity of being filled with the Spirit. You know, it kind of broke through in this land, broke through all around the earth. Then we had, um, later on what happened is we had the tent revivals and the healing meetings, and healing became known, a revelation of it. Then we had the Word when we got a revelation of sticking to the Word of God and understanding how important the Word of God is. And all along, God is building in every piece of it an understanding of how He loves people. He's wanting us constantly to always keep one hand on the fact that He loves humanity. He loves people. But I want you to understand that having a revelation of God's love does not diminish the fact that there is danger in sin. There is danger in sin. How many of you have ever been taken captive by sin? Hallelujah! And the word is even is even clear that when you subject yourself to sin, you become a slave of it. And we don't want to live that way, and we don't have to live that way. Um, you know, um, sometimes it's 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 okay. I'm just going It's kind of weird talking about sin. Okay, it, it's kind of weird talking about sin. And um, so I was telling the Lord, it's kind of weird talking about sin. I feel like I'm, I'm going back on everything I know because I know I've been made the righteousness of God, and sin is not a problem for God, and all this kind of thing. And then He reminded me. He said this. He said, but and I said because Jesus bore my sins. And He asked me. He said, did Jesus bear your sickness? I said, well, yeah. He said, in the same way, in the same method but yet you don't have any problem preaching healing. And did Jesus bear your poverty? I said, yeah, he bore my poverty. You know, he became uh, poor that I could become rich. You know, he bore that. But I don't have any problem preaching prosperity. See, it's an awareness and awakeness to the maneuvers of the enemy is what we're trying to uncover. We're trying to uncover what the enemy does to cause us to live short of where we're intended to live. Amen. Hallelujah. So um, if you're having trouble with me ministering about sin, we don't have a problem with it anymore, right? Praise the Lord. All right. So, and we all know I've sinned fallen short of the glory of God, but God justified us freely, right? Amen. And um, one thing to note, God already dealt with the sin problem. Hallelujah. In fact, it says he's coming back for a church without spot, blemish, wrinkle, whatever translation you're in. He's coming back for that. And if you get into looking and digging, he's coming back for a sinless people. So we got a little ways to go, praise the Lord. This is called preparation school. All right. All right. So one of the things to remember that um, I have come to understand is most people avoid the presence of God because they don't want the reflection of his goodness to reveal their shortcoming. Don't like it. But understand this, that that means your expectation is more of judgment than forgiveness. And we've got to have a greater expectation of God's mercy than his judgment because we are part of his family. We are in his family. So you've got to grab yourself and expect mercy and forgiveness more than judgment. And if you get that in you, working in you, you'll understand it's not hard for me to go to God at all when I have failed. You know, the thing of it is we become so frail, because we don't know who we really are. We become so frail. All right, we'll get into more of that. So let's go this way. So how, how are we going to get to the place that we stay out of sin? How are we going to get our lives that we live here constantly and legally This wall is not supposed to have a barrier. Legally, according to what Jesus has done, this wall is non-existent. However, we find ourselves living back here. So how are we going to get it that this is non-existent as he paid for it, that we can live entirely in the the, um, goodness of God? Let's go over to John chapter 16. Hallelujah. John chapter 16. And we're going to start reading in verse um, number 7. John 16, verse 7. It says, Jesus is speaking. It's in red, right? Hallelujah. I love how you don't even have to figure out who's talking. It's in red. I know who said it. Amen? I I need to have another book and everything that Jerry says put in blue. That's what I need to do. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because of the ruler of this world is judged. Of course, it was the last one. So the Holy Spirit is known as our helper, okay? Do you know what a helper looks like? A helper is one that comes alongside to accomplish a task, all right? Somebody that comes alongside to help. Someone that comes alongside to help you complete something. Someone that comes alongside and assists and aids you. Well, the Holy Spirit is our helper, the Holy Spirit is our helper. And it said as a helper, he's going to convict. But he's going to convict of three things. He's going to convict of sin. He's going to convict of righteousness. And he's going to convict of judgment. That's what the helper's going to do. He's going to convict of sin. He's going to convict of righteousness. And he's going to convict of judgment. And he's going to convict of sin because people aren't putting their confidence in the Lord. They're not putting themselves and leaning entirely on what the Lord can do. Many sin, many sin is sin of, of pleasure. Okay. Many sin is sin of pleasure. And the, the problem with that is God wants to be your pleasure. Okay. And so, That's what he's saying. If you'll just believe me with your life, you won't have to come and go to any substitute for delight. You won't have to go to any other substitute for strength. You won't have to lean on anybody else for help if you'll believe in me. Because without believing in me, you're likely to fall prey to sin. Okay? And, And then he says of righteousness, which righteousness is knowing and living right. But what is happening is the Holy Spirit convicts us of that because we don't have Jesus. Jesus is not on Facebook to tell us how to live. Jesus is not even, you can't even Google Jesus today, tell me how to do this. Jesus went away and the Holy Spirit comes and can convicts us of how Jesus lived okay because he's absent and then of course of judgment because there is judgment coming there is judgment coming so the holy spirit is here but one of the things that will help us to always live inside out meaning live not live inside here but live out here is when we understand that the ministry of the holy spirit is to convict us so we never live behind a wall. The Holy Spirit's ministry is to keep us in the goodness of God. The Holy Spirit's mission in the earth is to keep the body of Christ, keep people aware how God is, how God loves you, how God cares about you, how God wants you to live an abundant life all the time. So when we understand that that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we understand that conviction is our greatest guide rather than diminishing us. That we should treasure conviction. Amen? The word convict means to bring to the light. Okay? It means to correct. And it's interesting that um, the word "sin" here just means to miss the mark. Okay, just miss the mark. Okay, so the Holy Spirit's ministry is to keep you from missing the goal. The Holy Spirit's ministry is to keep you from falling short. The Holy Spirit's ministry is to keep you from being dissatisfied bothered upset frustrated beat down that's the holy spirit's ministry he's trying to keep you successful abounding joyful strong healthy wise the holy spirit is trying to do that and the way he does that because he doesn't come to your front door and knock on the door and say hey i'm the holy ghost and today do this instead. Instead, what He does, He knocks on your heart, and there's this quickening, this thing going off on the inside of whether I should or shouldn't, and that is what we call conviction. That is what we call conviction. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is working in your life, trying to draw you that you remain and abide in the goodness of the Lord. But what happens is, We can override that conviction, but understand this, if we override the Holy Spirit's conviction, we are affirming that, yes, I will allow a wall to be built. We are affirming, yes, I'll be comfortable behind a wall. And then our wall looks like different things. To some people, um, a, a wall will look, if I just get married, that'll be okay or if I just get a new car or I go shopping or I get a new motorcycle see we bury ourselves behind walls of things in this life that we can reach and touch when all along the conviction of the Holy Spirit says I don't want you to have to want anything else I don't want you to need anything else I am all you ever need I am and it's not saying you don't have marital problems and it's not saying you don't have lack or it's not saying you can't have a new motorcycle but what he's saying is if you will follow me I will get that for you without any wall of containment that will later become a problem see the convicting power of the Holy Spirit is something we should eagerly desire Hallelujah. Let's see here. Let's go over it. I don't know if you have it back there. Hebrews chapter 12. Hallelujah. The convicting power of the Holy Spirit is the greatest blessing we can have in this earth. If you think about it like this, um, uh, it's like the conviction is just nudges, just nudges to keep you on the right path. Just nudges to keep you on the right path. Because I don't know if you know this, but none of us in our own thinking and ability has the ability to make all the right decisions all the time in every situation without God. And so what the Holy Spirit is doing is he wants to keep you forever in the goodness of the Lord so he will just from time to time just nudge you on one side or the other. You know, do that but don't do this. I remember one time years ago, that um, I got uh, a conviction in my heart that I needed to write to a lost loved one about how to be born again. I had to write to a lost loved one. This is how you become born again. And I wrote it all down, wrote this extensive letter, this great big letter. It was a good letter and everything. And so I wanted uh, Jerry to proofread it for me. So I had him read it and everything. And he got done writing it. He says, that's really great. That's really good. That's perfect. Anybody wouldn't understand that and don't send it. He had a conviction of the Holy Spirit don't send it. don't send it. And I thought, oh come on, I took all this time don't send it but he had a conviction and since I'm submitted to him, I didn't send it. Two weeks later I get a call from that loved one and they tell me about someone that came to their door, One day, and preached the gospel message to them, knocked on their door, they got saved, and I never sent the letter. So it was like an intercessory thing that I was doing. But see, it was just a slight nudge of what to do and not do. Okay? See, the Holy Spirit wants you to be successful in every endeavor of life. Okay, and so those nudges can't be overlooked. Hallelujah. They can't be forgotten. They can't be dismissed. All right, if we look at Hebrews 12, verse 4, look at this, how it starts out. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed striving against sin. Now, that's what the Word says. Now, uh, some days it may feel like bloodshed, but it says you haven't come to that point yet like Jesus did. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening or the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure the chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Then he goes on and talks about earthly fathers do this and all this, and it says in verse 11, Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So that's what he's saying. He's saying, if you'll acknowledge those nudges in your life with God, if you'll acknowledge those nudges, you know, I can honestly say this. Every time that I found myself in a pit of problems, there was a first conviction that I didn't listen to. There was a first conviction that I didn't listen to. A first, can anybody attest that that's true? Whenever I find myself in the pit of something, it was because I overrode the first conviction. And if we will listen to those first convictions, and if we learn to follow convictions, then it says we're going to be trained. We're going to be trained. And what are we going to be trained for? We're going to be trained to live on the fullness of the goodness of God. Amen? But he said here, don't despise it back in verse 5. Don't despise it. And to despise means to regard lightly or care a little for and make a small account of it. Don't make a little account when there's a nudge from the Lord. Don't think it's just a small thing, a nudge from the Lord. Okay? I could have been angry about the nudge from the Lord. I could have been frustrated about it. I could have even gone against the nudge of the Lord. But then I'm not guaranteed I would have had the same outcome. Because the conviction of the Spirit was to produce success in what I was after. Okay? So we have to understand we can't make little light of it. All right? Let's go to Proverbs 12.1 as quickly. Here's a good scripture. Whoever loves instruction loves knowledge. But he who hates correction is stupid. (laughs) Hallelujah. So we have to be understanding that we need correction. And we have to understand that we need to love correction. Now, what happens to us, like I said, the frailty of our identity causes us to despise correction. Because we feel if we're corrected, that means we're falling short. If we get corrected, that means we're flawed. If we get corrected, there's something wrong with us. If we get corrected, that means we're not as good as so-and-so, and we get into comparisons and all kinds of things. No, your correction is to make you successful on your way. Your correction is to make you useful. Your correction is not saying that you're no good. Your correction is saying God loves you enough to not allow you to fail. God loves you enough to not be willing to let you fail. That's what correction is about. Think about it with your children. We don't love to correct, but sometimes we have to correct. You cannot walk out in the street in front of that truck. Why? Why? Why did you ever have one of them kids why 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 because I want your success. I want you to be able to live and enjoy life and what you're thinking of doing will not cause you to enjoy life and then they turn into teenagers and they say why 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 hallelujah understand that conviction is nothing other than the power of God that makes us aware of wrongdoing. That's what conviction is, the power of God making us aware, all right? And be clear on this, love like God is, God or love isn't looking to judge us, but how to be with us. Love is always earnest about looking for a way to walk with you, just like the father did when he came back to the garden. The father is looking for a way to, To walk with you without walls without hindrance he's looking for a way to walk with you and if you can walk with Jesus every day is a happy day right he's looking for a way to give you his best his brightest his greatest thing God is looking for a way love is not looking to find fault with you love is looking for a way to stay connected to you amen God is not the accuser so correction and conviction is not accusation it's revelation it's revelation it's not accusation conviction is not accusation conviction is revelation okay and we have to learn never to override conviction when we override conviction then what happens is that means we're resisting. The Holy Spirit because that's his ministry that's his ministry you know and there's ways have you ever found out there's ways to avoid conviction there's ways to avoid conviction I'm not going there anymore I'm not I'm not gonna be around them anymore I'm not gonna communicate with them anymore but understand this conviction is never brought on you from the outside conviction is always brought on you from the inside you know, you can get convicted in church, but there is no way I can preach conviction. There's no way Pastor Jerry can preach conviction. I can stand by you. I can't do conviction. What happens is conviction is the Holy Spirit working in you. It's the Holy Spirit working on you. That's why you're convicted. You know, have you ever been convicted when somebody just didn't say anything? And then preaching, you know, okay, I'll shut up too right? Okay, the conviction is the ministry of the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, I want to talk about another aspect of conviction, because most conviction comes through a thing called our conscience, comes through a thing called our conscience. Now, what your conscience is, is every one of us has the breath of God in us. That's why we can breathe and live. That's why we can exist. And what the, your conscience is, is the breath of God that remained in man after the fall. It's the breath of God that remained in every man after the fall, all right? But let's look at 1 Timothy 4. I got a. 1 Timothy chapter 4. And I just want to bring out something here for beginning at verse 1. Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Okay? So let's go back to verse 1. It says this is what's going to happen in the latter days. Some are going to give up serving God. And they're going to listen to deceiving spirits, doctrines of demons. Go on to the next one. And they're going to speak lies in hypocrisy. Has anybody seen has anybody speaking a lie in hypocrisy? Okay. And it says that they'll have their own conscience seared with the hot iron. So this breath of God within them has become seared with a hot iron. Another word for the word seared means to be branded. Now, I grew up on a farm where we branded cattle, and the idea was you burnt something in there to mark them forever, but they wouldn't feel in there. A scar. It became a scar. And so if we're looking at a conscience, What happens is their conscience, that breath of God within them that's to help determine right or wrong has become seared where they don't sense right or wrong anymore. They don't feel anymore what's right and what's wrong. And the only way you can get to that point is by consistently overriding conviction. Consistently throwing away conviction consistently throwing away conviction. We have people in our nation that we can see their conscience are seared. They are past feeling. They don't care who they hurt, how they hurt them, or what they do. And that's a seared conscience, okay? And there is scar tissue there. There is no feeling there any longer. And it comes from the not yielding to conviction over and over and over again. People can do that with each other. I have seen women with seared conscience toward their husbands. I have seen men with a seared conscience toward the female race. I have seen these searings go on. I have seen people seared about church. I've seen people seared about preachers, police officers, government. They don't feel anymore. They have made an opinion that is a blanket opinion. Well, that's a sign of a seared conscience because you're not feeling even when God needs you to feel. All right? And we can, we can, we can override conviction so many times that pretty soon our conscience is seared in a particular area. Hallelujah. In fact, I'm going to show you something. Let's go back to Proverbs 7 have time for this Proverbs 7 we'll wrap this up here a little bit and I want to read out of the amplified and in this passage of scripture it's talking about the harlot enticing a man that's married or she's married one of them's married maybe both of them are married but this harlot is enticing and look how it words this in the amplified with much this is this is this is sin just see this this harlotry is sin But this is the way sin works. With much justifying and enticing argument, she persuades him. With the allurements of her lips, she leads him to overcome his conscience and his fears and forces him along. Do you see what sin does? Sin justifies, entices until there's a persuasion through the allurements to get you to overcome your conscience and your fear and forces them along see that's the th- idea is that your conscience is supposed to help be a regulator within you and that conscience is fed by Holy Spirit conviction and when you refuse the Holy Spirit conviction your conscience then no longer works as effective as it should devising right and wrong it never it, it starts getting off a little bit that you can't see right or wrong and it's not about it's not about things of uh, um, well it could be about anything let me just say it that way praise the Lord hallelujah it can be about anything it can be everything don't, don't eat that piece of cake to don't drive down that road We, I have heard of so many tragic things happen in people's lives and they will tell me, I knew I wasn't supposed to, or I knew I should have. Does anybody relate to that? Hallelujah. And so what we want to do is make sure we don't get to the place where this conscience is seared. Go over to Luke 11, Luke chapter 11. this will give us understanding this is in the amplified also it says your eye is the lamp of your body when your eye look what the amplified calls it your conscience is sound and fulfilling its office your whole body is full of light but when it is not sound what's the it your conscience is not sound and is not fulfilling its office your body is full of darkness It says your eye okay it's not just talking about what you put your eyes on but it's talking about the eyes of your heart which is your conscience and when your conscience is sound and fulfilling its office it says your whole body or your life is full of light but when your conscience is no longer sound because you've refused the ministry of the Holy Spirit And it's no longer fulfilling its office. What's the office of your conscience to help you walk right? And it's not fulfilling its office. Your whole body is full of darkness, it says. So we have to understand that our conscience is so valuable. It is so important. And the way to feed our conscience to keep going the right way is to allow the breath of the Holy Spirit to continue to breathe in us. And so the breath of God within us, known as our conscience, is fed by the fuel of the Holy Spirit and keeps us knowing what's right and wrong. The interesting thing about it is sometimes there's rules or rights and wrongs, let me say it that way instead, rights and wrongs that we cannot find in the Word. Should I marry him, I cannot find a single scripture. I'm going to have to rely on the convicting power of the Holy Spirit to direct me in that decision. And if my conscience is seared and I disregard what the Holy Spirit is trying to do, then I am got no way and no indicator of what is right and what is wrong. And we have to stay alive to having this power working within us that gives us clarity about it. All right, let's go over to Romans chapter 5. We're winding down here. Are you making it? Okay, hallelujah. Romans chapter 5, verse 20, it says, The law enters that the offense might abound. He's talking about sin there. But where sin abounds, grace abounds much more, okay? Now, grace is the divine influence on the heart. It's reflection in the life. So anytime time that there is sin in your life, understand this. The divine influence is greater than that sin. It's always greater. The ministry of the Holy Spirit, which is in the grace, is always greater than the sin. Understand this, your sin is not too great for God to deliver you from. Never, ever, ever. There is no sin greater than God. There is no sin that can separate you from God if you don't allow it. There is no sin mightier and stronger than God. Because wherever sin is, grace is abounding there much more. Does it say much more? Much more. Now, if grace is divine influence on the heart, it makes me think that influence is a type of breath. It's a type of breath. Influence is breathing, okay? So wherever there is sin, there's a breathing of God that's stronger than that sin. There is a breathing of God. And the Word even tells us that He makes a way of escape that we can able to bear it. He always makes a way of escape. And you know, um, wherever that scripture is, you know where that scripture is at? Can you think of it? Wherever that is, but when he makes a way of escape, and you notice if you look in the text, it says that you may be able to bear it as if you could bear the sin. But when you look at the context, he's talking about there's a way of escape that you can bear. There's a way of escape you can bear. There is always an exit. From every temptation of sin there is always a way of exit from every temptation of sin God is wanting to keep you in the goodness of the Lord God is wanting to keep you in the blessing of the Lord and with every temptation he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able but will make a way of escape that you are able to bear So there is a way and a path for your feet every time to get out of the temptation. Why is that? Because the breath of God is stronger than the enticement of sin. But it only seems stronger if we set our conscience to receive the conviction to get us out of it. Amen? Hallelujah. And we know that the power of God To deliver us from sin is the power of God he wants us to live in now we are coming to days of great and good things we are coming to days of signs wonders and miracles we are coming to days of outpourings and awakenings we are coming to these things we are coming to these things and God is going to use a people that know how to listen by conviction To the Holy Spirit on what to do and what not to do he's needing a people that have exercised themselves to know right and wrong not just right and wrong of I don't murder so I know that's wrong but he was wanting to do even the most intricate things go pray for this one that's not your department right there pray for this one that's not one that's receptive yet do this for this one see he's wanting to have a people that have so got our consciences awake and clear that we can hear his breath of instruction to know what to do and what not to do so we've got to start training ourselves now by simple small things about the color of socks and the chocolate cake or whatever it is that we start using our conscience to know those things so that as we go down the road farther, we can be used for bigger and bigger things because he wants to have a people that he can trust in conscience. He wants to have a people that will know right from wrong, okay? He wants to have a people that don't have any walls around them, that when he wants to do something, they're able to do it. When he wants to do something in the earth, they're available. When he wants to do something, There is no restraint. He's looking for a people to do that. He's looking for a people that have conviction, not just about darkness, but also have conviction about light. Not just about avoiding evil, but also have conviction how to propagate the good. That when there's a time to stand up, they're convicted, I need to stand up against this. That when there's a time to resist, I need to resist this because God is needing a people that are so walking intimately connected to him that they never slip, that they never fall, that they never, never are without understanding of the power of God and the ability for God to work with them. Now, this is what we have to understand. We are the people of God. We are the people of God. We are the blessed. We are the healed. We are the righteous. And just as we have to resist sickness, resist the lack, we have to learn to resist the sin. Because this, this is what he gave me. He said, you are not unrighteous any longer and unrighteousness has no legal right to you unless you permit it so there's there's no right for any walls in my life between me and God okay and and just as you're no longer the sick trying to get healed you are no longer sinners trying to be righteous we are the righteousness of God and the enemy is trying to make us sin we are the beloved in the Lord we are the family of God and see yourself now you are more holy than sinner you are more righteous than unrighteous you are more good than evil and what the enemy is trying to do is trip you up into a life an attitude or a decision that will build a wall you are the righteousness of God Sin has no power over you. Sickness has no power over you. You are the righteousness of God, a life without walls between you and God. And don't let the enemy persuade you or convince you. But as you follow the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, you will be able to resist him. See, because we are the righteousness of God, and it's Satan trying to entice us to live another way. Hallelujah. And we, we can't afford to let sin have dominion over us, but we never will if we just learn to abide by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit. No matter how big or how small it is, you're in training. We're in training, and we want to train well that we can be very useful to the Master. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Did you get something today? I just stand to your feet. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to watch the video of this message, head over to vimeo.com forward slash WO Victory or go to Jerry Roberts Ministry on Roku. For more information about who we are and what we do here at Order Victory, check out the website at wovictory.org. That's wo wovictory.org. See you there.